welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. Uh, as we're here today, it's um, mid December, so we're just about ready to move into winter. Um, and, you know, we're transitioning out of all the fall, early winter hunting seasons. Uh, it's a time when a lot of people shift here to predator hunting, and I am super excited. I have probably one of the most well-known predator hunters in, in North America on the podcast for us today. Um, Fred Eichler, Fred, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, Mark. Yeah, now I'm, I, I've gotten to know you over the past couple of years working on our Predator Nation. Now, most people know that uh, I'm involved with Peterson's bow hunting and crossbow revolution, but I also work on Predator Nation. It's another one of the uh, outdoor sportsman group brands. And uh, you have two, three pieces in every issue. And, and, and I've just learned so much in, in reading all of your work. Uh, you, you, in your um, current issue, you're going to have a, an article on putting up fur. And that was super exciting to me. That's something I've never done while I've Predator hunted. I've, I've never taken that step. So uh, we're thrilled to have you on. And, you know, I think a good starter question for you is, now you live in Colorado. How did you get started hunting? And how did you get into bow hunting? Because I know bow hunting is one of your passions. It is. It is. Well, you know, like a lot of people, my father was a passionate outdoorsman. So uh, my father kind of got me into it, you know, following him around. And, uh, you know, predators, uh, and it's funny, the things that you remember in your mind, but I was very young, uh, probably seven to eight years old. And I couldn't sit still like most seven and eight year olds. And I was hunting with my dad and we were, he was trying to get me to sit still underneath the tree. And I was sitting there and I was kind of grumpy and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there looking around and I saw movement and I looked and a bobcat had come out in this little opening we were watching and it took off and chased a rabbit out of sight. And I was like, wow, that was the neatest thing. You know, and it just blew me away. My dad was so excited. I saw it. And so, you know, I've always kind of been, enthralled with uh you know with any kind of hunting really uh but the predators to me uh, are just fascinating I, I started out predators um not only hunting predators but trapping uh like a lot of a lot of people you know in the country I, I started out trapping predators and uh that was where I learned not only a lot about predators and scents um and how amazing predators really are and how they use different senses like bobcats use their eyes you know more than their nose whereas a coyote uses its nose a lot and its eyes but you know it's interesting going through all the different predators uh but then just calling them as well uh became a, a huge uh hobby of mine and something that I wanted to perfect which none of us will ever perfect it uh but we get it we get as far as we can mark yeah, and and uh, obviously there are a lot of challenges when you go into hunting uh, different species, but that you actually live in an incredible area as far as predator hunting. Though you have a, a wide variety that you can pursue out there in Colorado. You know, a lot of people have no idea, but Colorado, uh, not only for big game, but for predators, Colorado's amazing. I mean, to start off with, we have three species of fox. We have red fox, swift fox, and gray fox. So I could literally go out in one night and maybe by tweak in the area I go to 10 or 15 minutes one way or the other, I can have three species of fox. We also have raccoons. We have badger. We have bobcat. We have coyote. You know, and then if I want to, you know, skunks, of course, they've come into calls as well. And then if you want to jump it up to larger, we've got black bears and mountain lions. Uh, there's a few ringtail cats in the state of Colorado as well. So we have just a myriad of predators that, you know, I didn't even mention like pine martens, which is a smaller, you know, predator, but we've got a ton of predators here. So if a guy's a avid predator hunter, 
there are very few places that have the variety of predators that we have here in Colorado. So it's a great place to not only learn about predators, uh, but to get experience in all different types of predators and figuring out what sounds, um, you know, strategies work best for the different species. Yeah. And now you um, run your own family outfitting business, full draw outfitters, where you have guys out uh, um, hunting from archery season. Even now you have guys out for mule deer, for elk and things like that. Uh, do you have a fair number of uh, clients who like to do some predator hunting when they're out there as well? I mean, obviously you're just renowned in the industry and in the field. So, Well, I, I'm honored you say that. I'm just, just a guy that got into it and loves it a lot. But yeah, um, sometimes <laughs> I used to take a few guys predator hunting, um, which is fun. But predator hunting is one of those things I kind of do for myself. I guide for the antelope. I guide for the elk and the mule deer and the whitetail and the black bear, you know, turkeys and all that good stuff. But I found, uh, and I'm trying to think of the nice way to say this, Mark. I found I, I'm, uh, I get frustrated sometimes taking guys predator hunting. Um, and it's not their fault, but a lot of guys don't have a lot of experience. So it's easier to, to talk to them or teach them. Or I prefer hunting with people that are, are experienced predator hunters uh, because there's been multiple times I've taken guys out that, and it's fun to take people out and let them experience it. But you know, I'm so dialed in on like, okay, we got three coyotes coming in. Let's, let's take all three of them and let's let we, you know, we got to shoot at the right spot. You know, we have to be accurate on the run on the other ones. You know, you have to choose which one to shoot first, second, third. And uh, I've had a lot of occasions where I've taken guys out and they just get so excited, which I love that, but you know, they start shooting while they're 250 yards away and still running right at you. And, and you're just like, ah, so uh, I guide, on some of the bigger predators, but really the coyote hunting and, and the bobcats and the fox and the raccoons, that's usually just uh, just for me, my buddies. Um, I do it for the show, and and we, we're doing some just shot stuff for, you know, MOTV, as you know, which is pretty exciting. But I tend to take uh, just buddies out on that. Sometimes I'll take clients out. I, I did take uh, a client out the other day. Um, he was out here on a hunt. I said, man, I've got a bunch of coyotes coming into baits and I'm going to slip out. Do you want to go? And he's like, heck yes, I'd love to go. So he went out and I set him up with a, uh, an ATN thermal I had for rifle and, and, uh, he killed one and missed one. And, and, uh, I did the same. I actually, I actually shot two and missed one running, but we had a blast. So we shot three coyotes in one evening. So every once in a while I'll take them out, but it's a, that's a tough one sometimes. Cause you, you know how it is, Mark. Sometimes you get a little impatient. <laughs> no, I do. And I, I think it's a, a great way to segue into the next point. You're talking about you like to hunt with people who at least have some experience in predator hunting. I think when you think of hunting for coyotes, fox, um, you know, bobcats, most people go with a firearm, whether it be a rifle or a shotgun. But uh, you do a lot with a uh, with bow, both uh, with, uh, I think, compound and um, crossbow. And, and in fact, you do a lot with a recurve. So you have a a wealth of experience in archery hunting. And so that's probably a great topic for uh, our podcast here, which is all archery focused. Um, what is the point where you wanted to start going after predators with a bow and arrow? What, what made you switch there from a firearm to wanting to go with stick and string? You know, that's a great question. It's probably the, the natural um, progression that a lot of people take. Uh, in other words, if you, if you fish with a bobber and a, you know, and a big earthworm and you catch some fish, you may next go, you know, decide you want to try fly fishing. Uh, you yeah. know, there's an art of fly fishing and it's, and some people would say it's tougher, but once you get good fly fishing, well, you know, sometimes you can catch fish. Other guys can't, 
Um, and it was the same reason I went, you know, with the majority of my hunting from a rifle to a bow. Um, with a rifle, you know, as soon as I saw the animal, it was like, well, it's, you know, it's in jeopardy. <laughs> you know, and with a bow, I got to watch that animal so much longer and learn more about it and and try and apply uh, my skills as a hunter, whether it was stalking, calling, using scent, camouflage, wind, terrain, you know, that was the exciting part for me. So, you know, as opposed to seeing an elk 300 yards away and shooting it with a rifle with the bow, it was like, man, I've got to get a lot closer. And then with the recurve, it was like, man, I've got to get even closer. So, you know, that was that natural progression. And, and honestly, predators took that, you know, for me too. I, I, uh, I still enjoy trapping and trapping is a blast, but that, you know, I want to interact with them uh, on a, Personal level sounds odd, but, uh, you know, to me, it is kind of personal because you're trying to call that animal and you're watching it sometimes or you're blind calling where they don't see you. And you're just you're hoping that you've read sign enough and know enough about that particular predator that they're in the area you're hunting. And then you're trying to call them in range. So for me, it was the same progression. Uh, a rifle is a blast. And I still please don't misunderstand. I still do a lot of it with a rifle. And a oh, yeah. Gun. oh, yeah, absolutely. But the desire to go out with a bow, whether that was a crossbow, a compound, and and my favorite, of course, the recurve for predators was, man, if it's neat shooting a coyote at 150 yards coming into a call, what's it going to be like to shoot one at 20 yards with a bow? You know, and, and so that was really that that next step for me was, okay, this is fun, and I feel like I've gotten you know pretty reasonably, you know, I've had some reasonable success with this. Now I want to make it even more difficult. And I took that, you know, I, I, I dive into things and I, you know, I took that to the next level. Like I want to, I want to shoot a jackal in Africa with my recurve. I want to go after, you know, badger with a, with a bow. I want to shoot bobcats with a bow and coyotes and everything. So I've been very fortunate to have harvested a lot of different predators uh, where I went out and said, man, I'm going to, I'm going to go and, and try and do this with, with my bow. You know, I was going to ask you this later in the in the podcast, but it's a good time to ask you now. What's the most interesting uh, animal you've ever targeted with the bow? Like you've hunted around the world, you mentioned Africa and a couple other places. What's what's the thing that jumps out to you when I ask you that? Like it's just instantly memorable. Well, because you said jump out at me, uh, that's that's funny because I'm I'm probably going to share a story that it's embarrassing. And if you ever watch the video, it's it's very embarrassing for me. A lot of people think it's funny because. I like to think I'm kind of a brave guy that I'm not too scared, uh, but I have video of me not being brave at all. Um, I was actually hunting Kodak with my recurve and I've been charged, you know, I've gotten mauled by an alligator, charged by leopards, charged by brown bears. I've had some crazy experiences in the field um, and I've handled most of them. I thought pretty well, you know, I didn't run. I didn't, you know, drop my weapon and go screaming off in the bushes. Uh, but on this hunt I did. And it was, uh, I was on Kodiak. I was hunting with my recurve and uh, I had taken two beautiful sick of blacktails with my bow close and, and, and it was a lot of fun. And that's, that's on MOTV as well. But I wanted to go call foxes and I wanted to take my recurve and captain Garrett was like, man, you know, you know, there's the biggest brown bears in the world, you know, on Kodiak and you're, you're going to be calling sounded like a wounded animal. So just please be careful and be cognizant of what's around. And, you know, of course I'm like, Oh man, I, I know what I'm doing. No problem. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for bears and, and, and I'll take a shotgun, you know, with me as well, you know what I mean? Just, you know, for, for protection, because I am yeah. going to be calling and sounding like a wounded animal. And 
we had already seen a lot of brown bears. But I, my goal was to try and call in one of the, they call them silver foxes, but they're black. They look like they're, you know, almost all black. And I really wanted to take, a, you know, call in a couple foxes. So I had my recurve, arrow knocked right here against the rock. And I had a shotgun with me as well. And I was using a mic call and my cameraman was behind me. And I picked what I thought, Mark, was the perfect location. Yep. I could see down the beach. So if we called in a brown bear, I could stop calling or we could hide behind the rock, you know, and, and try and figure that situation out. And my cameraman was behind me and I know him and he was definitely checking our back. <laughs> he was checking our six, if you will. He was like, man, if a brown bear comes running back here, I'm going to let you know. So we're kind of watching the beach, but we had a big, huge rock to our left. So like a cliff almost, you know, if you will. And then one of the rocks had come down and was almost like a bench right in front of me. So I had my, my recurve of my shotgun and I'm leaning forward against the rock and I'm wailing away on this thing, just, wah, 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 you know, trying to call in a fox. And Mark, I, you almost have to watch the video, but the only way I could describe it is I thought a brown bear was going to kill me because all of a sudden I see not, not like far away, 12 to 12 inches to 24 inches from my face. This ball of hair just comes at me. And I, you know, you would think, that as a hunter that's been a lot of experience, I would have grabbed my weapon first. I was like, ah, I jumped backwards away from both my weapons, which made my cameraman like, oh, great. Yeah, Fred's going to get us both killed. I jumped back. It was a black fox that I had called in and it came up and stood on this and had no fear. And it's growling at me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I, you know, once I realized it was a fox, not only did I feel silly, but then I realized that my weapon was closer to the fox than it was to me. So now I go forward to get my recurve and the fox starts to go around the rock and he's still growling. He's not, I mean, he's upset. He came in to eat something. And as I get to my recurve, the fox starts to take off and he's going back up this cliff. Yep. So then I switched at that point, you know, it would have been awesome if I'd have been holding the recurve and shot him at, you know, a couple of people. I grabbed the shotgun. I ended up shooting this beautiful fox, but the video is embarrassing. And that's on MOTV. It's on the sickle blacktail hunt, but that was probably one of the wildest, craziest. When you say jump out at me, I think of that fox just scaring me to death. And, you know, I've called in mountain lions. Uh, you know, I've had some incredible experiences where, you know, using electronic calls, I had a mountain lion 16 yards from my cameraman. So I've had all kinds of really unique experiences, but a lot of it's because I spend so much time in the field. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, that, and that's a, a, a great story. And, and obviously you have spent so many years predator hunting. And, you know, I think uh, one of the things when you think of predator hunting is, uh, you know, if you hunt with a firearm, you might think, well, it's almost impossible to get an animal to come in to say 30, 40, or in your case, you know, 20, 10 yards. Um, so, uh, you know, I think most people are afraid to take that step and maybe try it with a bow. So let's talk a little bit about what you did as you were going through the evolution of predator hunting. How did you start to fine tune your setups and your calling and things like that? So say if you mentioned you shoot a, a coyote at 150, 200 yards. What did you start to do differently so you could get those animals into 30, 40, sometimes 20 yards? You had to probably tinker with a lot of things to start to be uh, uber successful. You know what? That's, that's a great question, Mark. And, and there was a lot of things. 
And I think I wouldn't have been very successful at all had I not spent so much time with a rifle, you know, calling in predators, shooting them from a distance. And, and I had a little experience under my belt to where I was like, okay, I, I feel like I've learned enough to where I can take this next step and try and do it that way. So I employ all kinds of different strategies. Um, some of them aren't as exciting as others, but I will employ all kinds of strategies to try and get predators in range. Um, one that I've used successfully is baiting. Um, you know, in a lot of states, and I tell everybody, always check the regulations uh, before you do anything, whether it's night hunting, predator hunting, you know, make sure you're going to be on the right side of the law. And most game wardens are more than happy to go through the laws with you and regulations. But in Colorado here, we can bait, um, you know, for predators. So not big game. We can't uh, bait bears and we can't bait lions, uh, but we can bait, you know, fox and we can bait coyotes and we can bait raccoons. And if a skunk comes in, awesome. So some of the things that I did uh, to get some experience and, and figure out wind and how to set up was baiting is a super effective way um, to get an animal in range, um, you know, of a bow, whether it's a recurve or a crossbow or a compound. And I needed that really close range shot. So to have a stagnant animal is another advantage. And when they're at a bait site, you know, once they settle down or they come into the actual bait, you can use, usually have an animal that's more stationary, you know, maybe moving a little bit or interacting with other animals as they come in, but you've got a more stationary animal. So it makes it a lot easier. It's advantageous. Um, so that's a great way. Um, all the other things are super important. Knowing the wind direction, knowing if the wind's going to change, um, I still employ a lot of things that I used when I was rifle hunting. I want the sun preferably at my back. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of little things that, you know, I'm like, you know, I got to make sure I have good cover. I've got to make sure my equipment is quiet. Um, you know, even, you know, a safety on a crossbow or, you know, making sure you don't have any squeak on your compound, uh, you know, when you draw it back. If that arrow makes the tiniest noise on the rest or if you're not wearing quiet clothing, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of wearing stuff that's quiet, doesn't make any noise when you draw your bow. Um, all kinds of little things, you know, clearing the area out around your feet, uh, making sure you're comfortable, whether that's a comfortable chair with a back where you can sit for long periods of time without moving. So there's all these, uh, you know, I tell people that predator hunting, whether it's with a rifle or, or, or even more so with a bow, there's not one thing that'll make you super successful. It's a whole bunch of little things that may be 10% of the hunt. So 10% is super quiet. 10% is knowing where the wind is. 10% is having the sun in your favor and not the animals. You know, 10% is being able to shoot accurately enough. 10% is having an animal in a position and stationary enough to make the shot. You know, but when you add all those up, all of a sudden you go, wow, now I got 90% of those variables covered. Yeah. And it all so becomes so important. Yeah, so that's one one strategy, um, baiting, um, and then water holes. Uh, you know, if I'm in arid country, um, uh, you know, with Texas, Colorado, Wyoming, um, you know, I've harvested multiple predators over water, um, coyotes, uh, you know, antelope hunting. Um, I always have guys talk about, you know, oh man, we had coyotes hitting this water hole or that water hole, and I constantly am paying attention to that. Like, oh, there's a place I can take advantage of a coyote at. So, you know. Water holes is another one that can be super effective. May not work across the whole country, but there are certain areas where a water hole can be a, a very effective tool to get a predator in bow range. And again, have that shot where they're standing there. Um, when I'm calling predators and I'm using a recurve or a compound or a crossbow, when I'm calling predators, bulb camo is huge, 
but you also need shooting positions. Um, I've seen some people get tucked in so far where their shooting holes that big and the animals right here at 20 yards and they don't have the shot. So again, you know, back cover, super important, uh, head to toe camouflage, um, wind position, and, and even knowing, you know, like I try and pay attention, what's not only what's the weather or the sun position, a lot of times I'll set up, for example, before the sun comes up. And of course, I've got good back cover and everything looks great. But then when the sun comes up, where's the sun going to be positioned? Is it all of a sudden going to be lighting me up or my bow up or any equipment that I have up? Or am I in a position where even if I sit there for two or three hours or 45 minutes, is the sun going to come up and still be blocked? You know, whether it's by a natural obstacle, a mountain, a bush, whatever. So, you know, when I'm calling a lot of the same things that you do with a rifle apply, but to me, it's. You know, then I'm looking at things like, do I have clearance for my bow? Can I turn and make a shot if I need to? Um, a chair that pivots. I carry a lot of gear, you know, when I'm when I'm bow hunting because it's extra stuff. But I've found that a, a chair that'll swivel 360 degrees or at least 180 is key. A quiet chair. There's a bunch of bunch of chairs out there. I like a Millennium just because it's got a back to it and I like being comfortable. Um, I start with an arrow knocked on the string. You know, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to shoot. Minimal movement once the animal comes in. Uh, that's a mistake people make with bows and and rifles not being ready for that opportunity because another six inches of movement could be what what blows the gig. So a bow stand a lot of times important because I've already I'll have the bow up already pointing in the direction of the animal. An arrow knocks important. Um, sometimes you know if I'm shooting the compound, I'll even have the release already hooked up. Um, Little tiny things, Mark, make that that huge difference. And then if I haven't bored you yet, I'll go into some of the calls. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, I gonna, <laughs> I'll I, let you I hit me, it, but I'll go. Yeah, you talked about, obviously, things that are important, like movement, sound, obviously wind. When you're bow hunting, you've really got to play the wind. And like you said, coyotes are notorious for or getting downwind and trying to send check everything. But yeah, I mean, I was going to start with the question is like, I, I know you do a lot with uh, hand and mouth calls, but like what do you do if you're still using an electronic call or you're positioning and things like that? How do you change your calling technique? So please go for it. Oh, uh, so there's a lot of things. Um, and you just, you know, one of those, I try and fool as many senses on a predator as I can. So a lot of people just think, oh, I'm just going to blow a call, whether it's a mouth call, electronic call. You know, I'm old enough to remember I started out with the old cassette calls. So <laughs> yep, <laughs> I've yep. watched it go through the whole thing. But, you know, one, um, I'm trying to fool as many senses as I can. So a call, of course, is fooling the ears, making them think that there's either they either think sex, food or curiosity. You know, when I'm when I'm. When I'm setting up a call, those are the three things that'll bring them in. So it may be, uh, you know, child howling, maybe, you know, puppy in distress. I may be using a food call, you know, a curiosity call, like, you know, a dying rabbit, you know, a dying woodpecker, you know, something like that. Uh -huh. So the call has their ears fooled. Then I want to fool their eyes. Something subtle. Um, you know, some of the decoys on the market are great. The problem is some of the decoys on the market are great for rifles because you're going to shoot it before the predator gets really close to the decoy. When you're bow hunting, 
you need to have a super quiet decoy. If it sounds unnatural or it's going, you'll make it noise or grinding motion. Um, those don't work out so great. Sometimes they're worked up. They'll still grab it, but I'm looking for something that's quiet. Um, another one that's easy. Um, the guys from Burnham came out and they were like, man, we've, we've just used a turkey feather and they're hundred percent right. You know, you can use something as, as simple um, as a feather on a string. And even on that though, you have to check. Sometimes you can't use like migratory bird feathers, you know? So a lot of times I'll use like a chicken feather from one of my domestic chickens, but you can literally put a stick in the ground and there's almost always some type of breeze, but you can tie a couple of feathers together, together, have a cluster of feathers on a, little lightweight, you know, four pound, six pound piece of fishing line. And the smallest breeze is going to make it move. But now you've got their eyes full. So you've got your call to fool the ears. Now you've got your movement to fool their eyes. So now they're like, man, this is legit. You know, it's, it's looking like everything I want to see, especially on pressured predators. The third thing I do is I'll go with scent. So as a trapper, I learned a long time ago how important scent was to being able to position an animal where you needed it. If it wasn't for scent, trappers wouldn't do any good. Doesn't matter whether a water, you know, animal, you know, beavers, there's certain things you can set walkthrough sets, but scent, whether it's a urine post set, dirt hole set or anything else, scent is huge. So I'll use coyote scent, rabbit scent. Um, I'll use scents that are natural to them to help convince them that everything's legit. And part of that is, so now I've got three senses fooled. I've got their, you know, their ears, I've got their eyes, and I've got their nose. That's huge for keeping that animal in that position so you can make the shot. If they stay there for another two seconds, sometimes that's all you need. But I'm also very scent conscious with my call. I don't want my call to be stinky. So I'll put scent on my call and I'll try and keep it from, you know, smelling like a person, you know. And again, these are things that even if it holds them there for another second or two, same with the decoy, you know, I'll put scent usually on the decoy. So if I have them run up, I want them to stay there for a second or two. I want them to, to give me time to get that shot. I'm also really careful about how I approach where I want to set the call. Um, I, I love an electronic call for everything. Don't get me wrong. Mouth calls are great. They certainly have their place. And I've harvested a lot of animals with a mouth call. Um, but there's no denying the advantage of a e-call or electronic call because then the animals focus on the call and the decoy and the scent that's not where you're at. When you're blowing a mouth call, they're focused on you and trying to get away with drawing a bow, you know, moving, doing any of that's very, very difficult. But when you have that e-call out there, you've switched it up. You've got all the advantages. Um, and again, the, the decoy to me really helps keep animals from circling as much when they just hear the sound. A lot of times you'll get them circling. I, I know I'm covering a lot here, but you'll, you'll, you'll catch them circling more to smell that animal or smell that wounded animal and go in a decoy. A lot of times, just like a decoy with an elk or, you know, you know, something else, a, a deer, a lot of times that decoy will cause them to go, Oh, there it is right there. I'm going to ignore the wind. I see what I'm after. And, and go straight to it. So I tend to bring my call in closer. Um, so maybe 30 yards to where if it goes directly to the call, I'm still in range. I can still make that shot with, you know, you know, a recurve that's pushing recurve a little bit, but compound and crossbow um, with the recurve, I'll tuck it in even closer, but then I'm trying to fool everything else. I'm, I'm, I'm now hoping that they're going to come straight into the call, but even if they duck it and try and swing in downwind a little, there's a chance 
that they'll still cut in between the call and me and I'll have a super close shot. So that's just some of the, you know, there, there's a whole lot of variables. And that's why I say it's, it's a whole bunch of little things, but besides the way you set up fooling as many senses as you can and setting up to where the advantage is yours for that shot, not only close range, but also the animal focused on that call, that decoy and that scent than they are on spotting something else. Well, well, thank you for covering all of that. I mean, you, you have a lifetime of tips and tactics that you can share and that you have shared there. You know, as you were talking, it got me thinking, have you found there's a certain time of the year that's more advantageous for hunting um, with, with bow and arrow? Like, is there a time of the year where it might be a little easier to get them in that close than other times? Great question, Mark. So it depends on what, what I'm doing. So water holes work best in the summer. Um, and since a lot of, so a lot of my predator hunting, uh, sometimes is just to help not only myself or ranchers out and trying to manage a predator. I just make it more fun. So if I've got too many coyotes or I, we lose a couple calves, I may go, okay, what's the most, what's the best way to harvest a couple of these coyotes to where I enjoy it too. And I have fun. So water holes are going to work best in the summer, both baits and calling, um, to me work best. And, and I, I'll have to hedge that a little generally calling and baits work best in the winter. And I say that because animals just like us um, mm -hmm. have to increase their caloric intake. They have to, they have to take in more food uh, to keep warm, to keep their energy up, you know, to keep fat stores. So that's when they're more apt to come running into, uh, you know, a food sound. Um, that's when they're more apt to come in and you can take advantage of a bait because uh, almost all predators uh, we'll take advantage of carrying, especially if they're, you know, if they're hungry, if they find a, a, a dead animal out there. Um, the, the mating, like the, the vocalizations and things like that can be great in the spring. Um, you know, I've used coyote decoys. I've got a Montana coyote decoy that I've used with some success too, especially when coyotes are pairing up. Um, so, you know, a decoy can be advantageous. It's got a realistic looking tail. I think that makes a huge difference. Um, because they spot that. And again, it's almost like a, a decoy out there, but it's those little, it's those little nuances as well as, you know, so those are the, my favorite times to do it that winter time from depending on where you're at November to February. Um, the other plus of that is also, as you know, I like to sell hides. I like to work hides. I think that's the ultimate form of respect for the animal um, is caring for that uh, hide as well, but the hides are going to be more prime in that you know, time of year as well. But the other thing, if I was trying to share everything with you, every animal is a little different and knowing that animal's personality. Um, in other words, where I may set up on a coyote uh, to have it in a little more open area, I may totally change my strategy a little bit for a bobcat that's going to take advantage of any cover. So whereas I may set up, you know, by one tree, you know, let's say I've got a, a point of trees coming out and that point of trees comes out and a, for a coyote, a lot of times I'd sit on the end of the point of trees, put my call out front, and I'm hopefully going to call the coyote out from maybe the open range or other trees out in front. For a bobcat, however, that bobcat is going to approach from where I'm sitting. If there's a little point of trees that comes out into a meadow or an opening or anything like that, you know, a bobcat takes longer to come and do a call. But when a bobcat slips into a call, it's going to take advantage of any cover it has. So even if it's a wounded animal it hears, it's 95% of the time going to hook around and go through those trees. And all of a sudden you'll see a bobcat sitting right beside you because it's coming in where you're approaching from. So in that case, 
I almost switch it up. I'd put the call behind me. I would set up in the point of trees and I would try and catch that bobcat that's coming in. So a lot of it's just calling a lot of animals and watching how they approach calls. Foxes as well. If you're hunting a fox, especially in areas where you've got a lot of predatory birds, um, bald eagles, golden eagles, we have both those, um, where you've got coyotes, um, bobcats. I've watched bobcats, you know what I mean, trying to predate on fox. So foxes are going to be a little more leery, uh, especially if you're calling them in the daytime, morning or evening, as opposed to night when it comes to coming out in those openings. So I would tend to hunt them closer brush, little draws where they'll feel more comfortable and, and can just take a couple hops and they'll be in cover. So, you know, again, it's, it's multifaceted, but there's not a one, there's not a one thing fits all, if you will. Um, it varies based on the predator and learning uh, about how those predators move can make it so much more advantageous when you decide to take on the challenge of a bow hunting a predator and a trapper that taught me a lot about trapping gave me some of the best advice I could ever hear because we were checking a trap and I said, why did you set that trap there? And he literally said, follow it. <laughs> he goes, follow, backtrack the fox and take a look at what he did before he got here. Like, okay. So I took off and started following the tra fox track backwards and just paying attention where the fox went. You know what I mean? Why, you know, oh, was he looking in a culvert for a rabbit? Yep, sure did. Did he, you know, did he cut across the open field or did he cover along the field edge? Did when he went across the field, did he cut through the, you know, through the little ditch with brush in it? Or, you know, so a lot of times, even if you're not hunting, paying a lot of attention to animals where you see them, what time of day it is. You know, I'm constantly, you know, as as people, we're constantly learning from when we're born. Um, and it depends on what we're concentrating or paying attention to, but I'm constantly trying to watch. Even if I'm driving, driving down the road and I'm like, oh, there's a coyote. Huh. Why is he there? You know, what time of day is it? Why is he cut across the field there? You know, what's the wind doing? You know, just looking at different things or where I see bobcats or where I, you know, where I see raccoon tracks along creeks. You know, it's so I tell people a lot of it is uh, you can't read one article. You can't watch one, you know, what what video. It, um, you'd have to read a lot of articles, which, you know, Magazines like Predator Nation can teach you a lot, but read all you can, watch all you can. There's some great videos out there, but also, you know, learn on your own a lot and pay attention to those little tiny nuances. And as you learn those, it'll make you a lot better, especially as you go after different predators. Sorry for the long-winded deal there, Mark, but uh, I get excited about it. It's, uh, it's one of my passions, so I can't help but rattle on. No, that's absolutely phenomenal, and, and you've covered so much. And, I, you know, when you think about it, this is a great episode for, for people who maybe have thought about getting out with a bow and arrow to try going after predators and maybe didn't know where to get started. So thank you for that. You know, and since we're, since we're talking about that, it's probably good to ask you now, if you wouldn't mind, what is your current setup if you go out with a compound for predators? And then I know you're going to want to talk about the recurve as well. So when you, what's your current setup that you're using when you hunt with a compound for say coyotes and foxes and bobcats, you have a go-to setup? Yeah. You know what? I, it's, it's pretty much, and it's because that's what I'm comfortable with. I go with the same setup that I use for big game. Um, and, and I do that because I'm familiar with it. I'm with it all the time. I'm familiar with the trajectory. My equipment's always ready to be quiet, you know, because of hunting whitetails or other animals with it. 
Um, so I tell guys when you when you switch over and decide to go for some predators, don't change your equipment, don't change your arrow, don't change your broadhead. I have some guys go, oh man, should I shoot a different broadhead? I'm like, no, why? Would, that's like, don't 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 change what you're familiar with. Um, stick with what you're familiar with. You know, stick with the same bow, stick with the same pins. You know, I, I would go with the same stuff. Now my compound is a little lighter than most. Um, but that's advantageous to me because I can draw it very smoothly. It's 55 pounds on the bear compound that I'm shooting, but it's, it's super light because I can literally, I, I, I can just draw it straight back smooth. I don't mm -hmm. have to, you know, put it up in the air and jerk it down to, you know, to get it drawn. Um, the, the tough thing about a compound on predators and it makes it a little more of a challenge, which is fun is that, you do have that breakover. Once you get it down, if you don't get the shot, but the animal's still interacting with the decoy or the call or the bait or, or even a water hole, at some point you've got to let it down. And that yeah, letting it yeah. down is usually a little bit of a, of a pop. So believe it or not, a lot of times, you know, longbows or reekers will give guys an advantage in that situation because a lot of times I'll come back a quarter of the way and then I can just let it down real slow with minimal movement. Come back. Oh, nope. Nope. The shot's not there. Oh, and then when I get the shot, come back smoother. So I'm certainly not trying to discourage anybody from going with a compound. The great thing about, you know, predators with a with a bow of any type is that you obviously want that extra challenge. You want to try and make that happen. So instead of looking at it like a huge disadvantage, I look at it like, oh, that's another part of the challenge. You know what I mean? I've got to try and figure out exactly when to draw that compound because I got to get that shot within 30 seconds or Boy, if I'm feeling really strong that day, maybe 45 seconds, as long as I can hold it back and still make an accurate shot. So I look at that as part of that challenge is figuring out, you know, watching that animal, reading the animal's behavior. When when do I need to draw to try and get that shot and not have the animal see me? Yeah, no, that, that, that's uh, a great that's advice. And yeah, I wanted to ask you one thing, if you don't mind, we don't have to talk about this a lot, but you, you mentioned a couple of times now hunting over bait. And I was just curious, do you hunt out of a blind when you're hunting over bay? Do you still prefer using the natural setup? And uh, if you already mentioned, I'm sorry, I missed that. But I mean, I, I thought that was a great question when you're in a stationary position. That's a great question. And, and I've actually done both. Um, I've hunted over bait um, where I just sit down on the ground. Uh, I've hunted over bait where I, you know, haul a chair in and get comfortable and build a little brush around me because where yeah. the bait's positioned, maybe there's not. Um, I put tree stands up. I've done all kinds of stuff. Um, and then. Um, the ones that, you know, we shot the other night, we actually had it, we drug, you know, carcasses in front of a muddy blind. Uh, it was uh -huh. about 10 degrees and we, we had a, we had a little buddy heater every once in a while we would kick on to make it nice and warm in the insulated blind. So, you know, I had a client that day and he was comfortable, so it, it allowed him to sit longer and thus I could sit longer as well. So great question on the bait. Uh, and like I said, I, I'll use anything I can take advantage of calls, bait, yep. water holes. Um, but I, I tell a lot of guys bait is probably the easiest. Um, if somebody said, Fred, uh, you know, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars, you know, or I'll bet you a hundred dollars. You can't shoot a predator tonight or, or in the daytime, yep. you know, you know, and, and you've got a week to prepare, you know, or get your setup ready. What are you going to go to? I'm going to go in the winter. I'm going to go with bait. And uh, I'm going to probably go on the ground. I'm going to brush a blind in, you yeah. know what I mean? Because I don't want to have time for an animal to get used to, a, you know, a big permanent blind. And I'm going to I'm going to shoot one with a recurve, a compound or a crossbow that way. Um, I'm going to set it up because 
I'm going to take advantage of the, the wind and I'm going to try and have a natural obstacle downwind. So the animal almost has to approach where I have the advantage, where it can't win me and where I can see it coming. So yeah, great question on the bait. I've done it every way you can do it. Um, but that is a very efficient way uh, to also get started uh, hunting predators, you know, with a bow, because I've, I've had raccoons, fox, coyote. I've had all kinds of different predators, you know, to be come into to baits and it gives you a really good opportunity to get a shot. Yeah, it's a great way to start it out. A, a great, great point. And you, you think of it, it, it is a good way when you're making that transition. So thank you for that. Now, I know you have a guy or two in camp here, so I'm going to wrap up with this last question for you, Fred. And that's uh, whether you tackle this as any animal or predator, what's the most unique thing you've gone after in your career? And again, you've hunted around the globe and you've been hunting a long time. What's the most unique animal you've ever gone after? Animal total or predator? Uh, I'm going to let you do it either way. Okay. Um, man, there's been a bunch of equals. I, you know, predator-wise, dingo was really unique um, and, and special. It's hard to break it down to one, but, uh, you know, hyenas, because I think they're incredible. Uh, they're, you know, they have one of the most powerful jaws of any animal, foot pounds of pressure. Um, so that was fun. Coda Mundi. That's another crazy one that a lot of people don't even know that we have here in the United States. I mean, you know, I was hunting Coda Mondays in Arizona. Um, there's there's Coda Coda Mondays, a neat one. One that I wrote an article for in Predator Nation, as you know, is the ringtail cat. Um, an absolutely beautiful predator that drove me crazy. Like almost <laughs> made me give up predator hunting. You know, that's an exaggeration, but the ringtail cat for me was such a challenge and and i realized how difficult it was here in southern colorado when i asked one of the local game wardens uh that i respect that that that, that hunts not only has quite a bit but you know watches a lot of animals i think he had i said have you seen any ringtail cats and he had seen one in over a 30-year career like fred i've seen one and i'm like oh my gosh you know but then you talk to other people they're like yeah i saw two so the ringtail cat super unique uh Mundi, super unique uh, those are two that if you've never heard of that and you're listening to this podcast, look up a ringtail cat, take the time to Google a code of money. They are two of probably the most unique uh, predators, in my opinion, that don't get much credit uh, because they are so unique. And most people don't see that we have here in the United States. Um, so both of those are pretty, pretty cool and unique. Well, I'm going to let you get back to the hunters you have in camp, but I want to thank you, Fred, so much. It's a, a thrill to have you on. Uh, for everybody who is listening, um, check out uh, Fred's shows on MOTV. And um, good luck if you want to try something different as you transition out of the fall hunting season. Give Predator Hunting with the bow and arrow a, a chance Excuse me, this winter. We're coming into a great time of the year for that. So, Fred, thank you. Uh, good luck with the rest of your hunting season, and good luck with your Predator Hunting this winter. Mark, thank you so much. It was a pleasure, buddy. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.